0: So we'll have a question today that we're going to try to answer. But before I do that, I have to, I have to a confession to make. Uh, if you don't know this, I'm a, I'm a foodie, and uh, you know I studied cooking for for many years. Actually, it all started many years ago. My wife got hurt and couldn't do couldn't do the cooking that she had been doing for many years for her family, and so I decided I'm a, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to really learn how to do it. So I. I really did and studied it and, you know, uh, read books and saw TV shows. In fact, my favorite shows on, on TV to watch are on the Food Network, of course. And, I, and, I was gonna, and if I was going to choose another profession, at this point in my life anyway, it would probably be as a personal chef. The reason personal chef is because I don't want to cook for more than three people at a time. And, uh, but I like to do it. Mostly I like to eat it. So, so it's no, you know, probably no surprise to you. you know, I fantasize about eating all kinds of exotic food. And I've I had the opportunity to travel a little bit, and I've eaten around the world. And uh, although within my, our constraints, I'm not a, I'm not a bad boy. And, uh, but even then, you get to eat some really good things. Depends on where you are. Best pizza place in the world, by the way is in Assisi, Italy. Uh, There's a little shop right on the corner as you come down the hill. It's the best in the world, and I grew up in the Bronx, so I know what I'm talking about. So, uh, So food, you know, like almost nothing else, invokes deep memories and emotions. I'm sure all of us have some favorite food, something that reminds me. My mother used to make this stuffing at Thanksgiving. Whenever I Whenever I taste it, I see my mother's face. And I'm sure you have memories just like that, about food. So food can do that, invoke deep memories and emotions, create moods of happiness and contentment. And of course, we all know that food is a big part of the culture right here at Simchat Yisrael. We have the craziest Oneg Shabbat of anywhere in the country. I've been to many of our congregations. Nobody does what we do on Shabbat. So food is a really important thing, would you say? So, for a foodie, the words from this week's Torah portion are a bit of a downer, I have to say. In Leviticus chapter 11, beginning in verse 2, it says, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, These are the creatures you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and choose the cut among the animals that you may eat. Nevertheless, you are not to eat of these among those who chew the cud or among those which divide the hoof. The camel, for though it chews cut, it does not divide the hoof. It's unclean to you. Likewise, the chafan, which is a rodent-like creature. For though it chews the cut, it does not divide the hoof. It's unclean to you. The rabbit also, for though it chews cut, it does not divide the hoof. It's unclean to you. And the pig, for though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, It does not chew, cut. It is unclean to you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Like this. Can't eat that. Can't eat that. Can't eat that. Maybe you don't want to. I don't know. But here's the deal. Not kosher. Sorry. You're out. Now, listen. Again, you may not want to eat some of those foods, but... If I did, I bet you i thought a bunch of them were tasty. Yeah. Just, being, just being who I am, just knowing a little bit about food. Okay. So what can we eat? Let's talk about what we can eat. We can eat things like this. Okay. Now, I want to I point out a couple of things to you on this. Uh, in this thing. Ch- Not for, l- listen, here's the deal. The Jewish people invented gout. Okay, so we, we can eat this stuff. We can eat chopped liver until your, your heart's content. Okay, and you know, all right, salmon's not so terrible. It's pretty good for you, nice fatty food. But that's, that's, uh, you know, chicken fat right there, right? Oh yeah, stuffed derma. Oh yeah, baby. Stuffed derma, you can eat that. So this is, this is edible. These things are kosher. But that thing down in the corner there, you know what that is? that's locusts that's kosher now not for nothing you know this is kosher but those other groovy little things on the other page they're not kosher these guys no, not kosher so I had a question okay so I have a question why is it that God seems like such a party pooper? It's just food, right? Eat this, not that. It doesn't make any sense. So what is it? We have, a, we have, a, we have an important question here to ask, really. If we're being uh, rational and sensible about it. So in Judaism, there are times, there are, there are times commandments for which there is no logical explanation. Nevertheless, we do them for the reason that God told us to do so. And we trust him. These are the chuchot. A chuchot is one of the commands that God gives to us for which there is no particularly logical reason. Yet we do them nonetheless. It's not a mishpat, not a mitzvah. It's a chuchot. And we do them because the Lord says that we should. So for instance, in this week's this week uh, for, for instance, this week is Shabbat Para. And the Maftiya reading is about the commandment of the red heifer. So let's see if we got that red heifer up there. A red heifer. Red bull instead of a black one or something else. And it says sacrifice the animal and burn it up. Uh, uh, We sacrifice the animal, burn it up, and preserving the ashes for use in making things ritually clean. However, the person who gathers the ashes of the burnt heifer becomes ritually clean. It says this, Now a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And the congregation of the sons of Israel shall keep it as water to remove impurity. It is purification from sin. The one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Now wait a minute. You just told me that the ashes are going to be used with this water to make things clean, but the guy who's handling it is unclean. Boy, what is going on here? It's hard to make sense of all of that. What is it? Clean, unclean, or whatever. We do it nonetheless. So sometimes we do the command simply because God asks us to do so. And it starts with some words that we spoke at Mount Sinai. After God had given the Torah to our children and Moses Moses came down from the mountain and told our ancestors these things, we said, Na'aseh venishmah. Na'aseh venishma, we will do and we will hear. So na'aseh then means that we will do what God commands. And venishma means we will try to understand it. It is our goal to understand these meanings, even though they may make no logical sense to us. Nevertheless, there is a reason that God commands these things of us. He is not a senseless God. He is a God of intellect and order and reason too. And what we need to do is to try to understand the meaning of those things. So, apprehending the meaning of the mitzvah, that's the goal. And according to Rambam, it is appropriate to try to understand. When we investigate the reason behind any of the mitzvah, it is not to explain the mitzvah, but to discover what we may draw from it. Do you understand the distinction there? Not to explain it. See, that's what a scientist will do. A scientist will break it down. He'll say the chemical analysis of this whole thing makes it this and that and the other thing uh, in an effort to try to understand those kinds of things about it. No, what does it in fact what can we draw from this commandment to eat these things and not those so let's try to do that says when we do this we elevate the mitzvah from a mere physical act to one that makes a significant spiritual impact on us if one experiences a spiritual awakening he must concretize it if it is to have any permanence the Rambam says and as it says in the book of James faith without works is dead so we have to know why we're doing something we put a talis on why there's a reason for it God did command it yes but there's a greater reason than well greater that's the wrong word there's there's more of a reason than just God said to put a scarf on So we make the effort to know why so that our faith is enhanced, our spiritual experience of the thing is greater. But know this, that works without faith is incomplete too. So doing a mitzvah without true intentionality, based on a sense of the meaning of the act, is not valid either. So if you're putting on a talus, for instance, if you're a Jewish man and you're putting a talus on and you don't know why, take it off. Just take it off. We need to know why we're doing these things. In In the Gospel of Matthew, Messiah Yeshua criticizing the Pharisees said, the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses Therefore all that they tell you to do, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. Without any sense of what it's supposed to mean, I guess, is Yeshua's point. And so, again, we must do what we do, because God commanded it. Make every effort to understand why. Understanding the why is important. So to do a mitzvah without any sense of its true meaning can leave us feeling unsatisfied, maybe even confused, and may ultimately result in us not only uh, in not fulfilling the mitzvah at all. So then we must do our best to understand that the mitzvot have spiritual impact on our lives and that it is important as performing the act itself. All right. We ain't know why. So I need to know why I can't have frog's legs. Okay, what's the point? I hear they taste like chicken. Well, one of of the reasons for kashrut, one reason, again, this one is given by Rambam, and by the way, he was a physician, he was a doctor, so maybe he was in a position to know. I guess he said that the laws were given for health reasons. How many of you have heard that one? That it's given the it's health reasons. You know the. Can I go back to that chopped liver and the, and you know and the schmaltz? and the, you know? I told you we invented gout. Don't tell me about it. you know. We I think we're at the top of the row of heart attacks too. Um, I'm not sure that's the reason. I don't think that's the reason at all, by the way. So I've heard this argument, but there are many authorities who argue against it, and for good reasons. Let me give you a couple. Such as there are many herbs, not forbidden, that are poisonous to humans. They're not that. Poisonous herbs, they're not on the lists of things not to eat. Why wouldn't God put those on the list of things not to eat? Uh, if, uh, you know, so it says also that that forbidden foods are allowed to non-Jews. So forbidden foods if they were so bad for you health-wise, why would God allow non-Jews to to eat them? After all, it says in the scripture, uh, the Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. So God could have, in the Noahide commandments, said don't eat these foods because they're bad for you. Uh, you know. And if God cares for all humanity, you'd think he'd have enough consideration to make sure they didn't eat those kinds of things. So I don't think we can attribute it to health. You know. I, don't, I don't, just don't think that makes any sense at all. So what is it? What could it be then? So let's consider something. It says, uh, you know, the first commandment that God ever gave to humanity was found in Genesis, Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. The very first commandment that God gave to humanity was about what we stick in our mouth. So clearly this is a very, uh, this is a primary kind of concern, don't you think? We're so casual about food because we eat so often that we don't think much about it. And yet... In the scripture, it's one of the very first things that God addresses with us. What we can put into our mouth and what we cannot. Now we all know that the effect of this breaking of this commandment has had a devastating effect on the world. So it must have been pretty important. In the Midrash, it explains some of the effects as a new awareness that dawned on Adam. At the moment of truth, he realized how powerful a current had now been unleashed. He knew that he would eat the forbidden fruit again because food and its pursuit were now an intrinsic part of his nature. Thus, it was through eating that man emerged from Ghani Den into the darker world of sinfulness. Through eating. No wonder, then, eating is important to God and what we eat. And interestingly, if I can trip to this next slide, it's no coincidence, then, on the night that Israel was redeemed from Egypt. The first command given to us as a nation had to do with food. Consider this portion from Exodus 12. It says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household. A lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his household are to take one, according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood, put it on two doorposts on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire. And they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. The first commandment the Lord gave to us. About what we put in our mouth. So what is this about? When God brought into being his new humanity, when he selected us from all the peoples of the earth, the redeemed people we would be, the first instruction he gave to us had to do with food. Thus our initiation into being a holy nation began with holy eating. Achilat Bekedushat. This is the concept, this is where the, the heart of kashrut. Holy eating. And we see here a basic function, not only of this mitzvah, but of all mitzvot. It, it is to sanctify every act of mankind. To make everything holy. And of course, what's more basic to the human condition than eating? We learn that man is made from the stuff of the earth and yet within him is something of the divine as well, right? God made us out of the dust of the earth and breathed into us the ruach of life. It's the divine part that sets us apart from the animals. So we eat and it sustains not only the part made up of, uh, of the things of this world, but the divine part as well. Man then can eat merely to satisfy the earthly appetite, or he can seek to nourish his soul as well. As it says in the Proverbs, chapter 13, the righteous eats to satisfy his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. When we seek only the satisfaction of our flesh, we will always come up lacking. But if we see eating as a holy act, Something which we, uh, in which we bring Kedushah into the world, it can bring joy and contentment. Have you ever thought of it that way? That when we eat, it's a holy thing. Whatever we do, we're to be bringing holiness into this world so that one day, holiness, that which is clean, will overcome that which is unclean. That's what it's all about. So when God designates some things as clean and some things as unclean, that's our cue. That we are to eat as holy as we can. Now, it's a common notion in the tradition that a, a person's table is to become like an altar of sacrifice. And it has the high dignity of purifying him and atoning for his sins. Remember, when the Talmud, when when the, let me just show you a picture. In the sanctuary, in the holy place, before the Holy of Holies was a table. And on that table was 12 loaves of bread and a cup for libation, for for a, a drink offering. When the, when the, when the uh, temple was destroyed, the rabbi said, how will we sanctify God? That bread is called, by the way, the bread of the presence, or the bread of the face. panin. The bread of the face. In fact, during the, holy day, the, the pilgrim feasts, during the time of Messiah Yeshua, it was the one time in all the year when the priests would actually bring this table out, out of the sanctuary in front of the people and say, behold, this is the love of your God. That was never done at any time. It was considered a sacred and sanctified thing that couldn't be seen by the people under normal circumstances. And the rabbis rationalized that this was done because it says, uh, in, uh, because in the scripture it tells us that three times a year we are to go up to see the face of our God. If you read the Hebrew in its, uh, in its, um, in the original language. And so here the, the face of the people, the face of God, if you will, a symbol of the face of God, is shown to the people. Later on this tradition became that each man's household His table was an altar to the Lord. This is why we wash, right? When we say the blessing, we wash our hands like a priest would wash to clean himself before saying the burqa. So, we have this thing here which says, You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. So, the altar in the temple was the table in God's house. Uh, right, I already told you that. Okay. So now the temple is no longer in existence. The table at which each of us eats must become an altar, a table at which God is present. So in no greater way is this true than when we gather at the Lord's table, as we'll do today. So, oops, let's go back. So that table is set. In no greater way is this true than when we gather at the Lord's table, for indeed the Lord is present there with us. When we partake of the Lord's meal, we are indeed participating in Akilat Bakedushat, in holy eating. At the table, we at this table, most especially, we bring holiness into the world. So, if I could get some help in bringing the uh, table over, as we do each month, we celebrate Hazikaron, or Lezikroni, however you want to pronounce that, uh, where we share from the Lord's table in Akilat, the Kedushad. Perhaps now we understand a little more why, why kosher. Now maybe all the intricate rules of Kashrut escape you, or elude you, and they elude me, and I have books on the subject. But the heart behind it is the notion that in it we are eating in a holy way, bringing sanctification to the most mundane of things into this world. But especially at this time when we share uh, in these elements which, and what they represent to us, we remember something of the Messiah. It says, For Messiah our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. As we participate in Akilat the Kedushat, we understand that we are bringing holy things into the world.